Thanks to Harry's for supporting the Molly Fool and industry focus. This holiday, give Harry's and give handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping. To get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last, go to harrys.com slash fool right now. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, December 12th, and I'm your host, Vincent Shen. My esteemed guest today is none other than SeniorFool.com contributor Adam Levine Weinberg, who's connecting with the studio via Skype. I wanted to say from Sacramento, but you mentioned you're your parents, so we're, so you're in town, no? Uh, no, it's in the New York City area. Okay, sorry about that. So in the New York City area, connecting with us. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Um, I'm extra excited here. for the show today since we don't get the chance to talk about IPOs too often in this sector. And lucky for us, uh, there was an interesting deal that priced last month, and the stock has traded up 60% since then. The company's called Stitch Fix, ticker SFIX. Uh, everyone loves a good founder-led company, and that is what we have here. CEO Katrina Lake founded Stitch Fix about uh, six years ago and started the business in her apartment, actually. And if you've ever heard of Trunk Club or Birchbox, then you'll be familiar with Stitch Fix's overall business model. But in essence, this is a subscription service for apparel, shoes, and accessories. Adam, can you explain how these kinds of services work and some of the specifics behind what Stitch Fix offers. Absolutely. So generally, the subscription-based service for apparel will send you a box um, as often as you want. And in some cases, actually, you don't have to subscribe, and you can just order a la carte, and Mm -hmm. that includes Stitch Stitch Fix. Yep. Uh, So typically, you'll get maybe five, six items in a box, and you can look at the items and decide what you like, and keep what you want, and send back the rest. Generally, these companies have dedicated stylists who work with their customers. So you'll have somebody who works with you over and over again. And over time, if you continue to use the service, they'll get a better and better sense of what kind of things you're looking for. Um, And so it gives a sort of personal touch while also being an e-commerce company, which helps out in terms of inventory management. Uh, and also is good for people who either don't have time or just don't enjoy going to the mall and and working with a sales rep at a department store. Or dealing with the lines and crowds and everything else that comes along with that's, that. That's true, too, especially around this time of year. Mm-hmm. So Stitch Fix specifically can send uh, automatic orders or what they call fixes. Um, so each one contains five items, and they can send them at almost any frequency you like, or you can do it a la carte, as Adam mentioned. And you keep what you like, you send back what you don't free of charge. There's a $20 styling fee uh, that accompanies each fix or order that you receive. But if you keep anything, that fee gets credited to your purchase. And then if you keep your entire order, all five items, you get a 25% discount on the entire order. Uh, So it's an interesting approach there. And the subscription model overall has grown a lot. It's grown very popular over the last several years. I think there's, at this point, has to be hundreds of services that offer uh, groceries, wine. I've heard of uh, clothing ones, obviously, like this one, makeup, tons of other products categories, and they'll send your box of their items every week, month, however often you want. And the main selling point, of course, the convenience. There's also the discovery aspect, the exposure to new brands and products that you might not have encountered otherwise. Are you actually a memorandum of anything like that? No, I've never used one of these services, um, but I've definitely thought about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I've used, uh, maybe not completely in this vein, but having uh, signed up 
with uh, Blue Apron, Green Chef, and a few others like that, you get a similar vibe, and it's you know kind of all part of this trend that we're seeing with in terms of this specific uh, subscription style category. But the thing that really uh, is, I think impressed me and kind of fascinated me about Stitch Fix uh, in particular is they really try and combine apparel retail. So this is an industry that's obviously been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then the foc- uh, the company has a huge focus on using data to best serve their customers, to win their loyalty. And when I was reading the company overview and description in the prospectus, it's, it struck me almost immediately how often the company mentions data or data science. And it feels like these words come up in every other sense. I don't know if you noticed that too, Adam. Yeah, I did. Um, and we could talk about this maybe a little bit more later, but it's definitely one of the things that's really interesting about the company. It's also a little worrisome. Um, it makes me wonder if they're trying too hard to seem like a tech company and mm-hmm. they're really just a, another retailer. Uh, and you know, you've sort of seen this problem before just because tech companies are getting such high valuations in the market these days. Everyone wants to seem like they're really just a tech company and everything else they do is kind of incidental to that. And so you definitely see Stitch Fix talking a lot about their data. Um, but everything still goes through a human um, where, you know, the data is providing recommendations to the stylists um, for fitting and uh, type product choices. Uh, but then the stylists are still interacting and deciding which five items go in the box to the customer. So the question is really, well, how much of this is the data science uh, informing and how much of it is really just the stylists using their own intuition? Yep. I, I think... Um... When you look at the breakdown, you know they mentioned they have seventy-five data scientists who kind of help help work on these algorithms, but then they also have their team of I think over thirty-four hundred human stylists who help yeah. finalize these orders. You do kind of wonder uh, how much of it is in terms on the promotional side, but how much of it is actually driving their business. But I will uh, let's cover right now actually some of the stuff on their data um, before we get into the result it's actually generating in terms of financials. Um, But we know a lot of, for example, brick-and-mortar retailers right now, they're rolling out things like royalty programs, they have mobile apps, they want to collect a lot of data on their customers. And I think Stitch Fix is definitely in an enviable position where their customers give them 100% voluntarily everything the company needs to kind of optimize and curate their offerings for each person. So I have a quote here from the company prospectus that gives you an idea of what tools and information they can leverage when assembling an order or a fix, as they call it, for a customer. So it's long, but it tells you a lot about what they what they have at their disposal. On average, each client directly provides us with over 85 meaningful data points through his or her style profile, including detailed size, style, fit, and price preferences, as well as unique inputs such as how often he or she dresses for certain occasions or which parts of his or her body the client likes to flaunt or cover up. Over time, through their feedback on fixes they receive, clients share additional information about the preferences as well as detailed data about both the merchandise they keep and return. Historically, over 85% of our shipments have resulted in direct client feedback. This feedback loop drives important network effects as our client-provided data informs not only our personalization capabilities for the specific client, but also helps us better serve other clients. So you take all the information the company has on your sizing and your other preferences, and they also apply a similar mindset to all the product they have in the inventory, so they'll track a lot of things about each uh, uh, piece of clothing, for example, like the brand size, the color, and the material. But they'll also supplement that with the item measurements, with more qualitative descriptions, and some of the client re- feedback that they've received on that item when sending it out in previous fixes. 
and uh, you know, I guess some of the magic there is that Stitch Fix can plug all of that uh, into their algorithms, uh, the information that they have on their customers or products, and then that algorithm will make suggestions on what to offer in each order, and it comes out as a probability that the item will match a specific customer, and, and then. Again, as you mentioned, you know you have that probability number now, but that still gets fed through um, a human stylist. You know, one of the team of thirty-four hundred or so. They provide the finishing touches, and they will further f- uh, curate and finalize that order for each person. So, if we try and quantify how well the algorithms and stylists are picking products for customers, uh, something I thought was pretty telling was that the number of items purchased per fix was up 22% in 2017 over 2014. So definitely uh, good progress to be seen there. And the company overall takes the same kind of data-driven approach to forecast demand, plan its inventory. They use it to optimize uh, the distribution to their five U.S. fulfillment centers. But again, the question kind of becomes uh, how much of this, uh, how much of the data is really driving the business in terms of their profitability, their financials, and we will get to that next. I'll pass the baton to you, Adam, uh, to kind of cover that. But thanks to Harry's for supporting our show. I've been a loyal Harry's customer for over a year now, and Harry's products have taken over as the highlight of my morning routine. My old electric razor gave it away. The old cheap disposables I had trashed them because I know that with Harry's razors, I'm going to get a fast, close shave on the first pass, and my face is left feeling smooth and smelling great thanks to Harry's amazing shaving gel. I'm out the door quicker every morning with a cleaner shave than I ever got before. And this holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets that make perfect gifts. My family often mentions how it's such a pain getting gifts for me since I can be so particular. Well, if you're feeling the pressure right now to find that special gift that is both unique and practical, Harry's gift sets were built with your guy in mind so you can be confident he'll love them. The sets come with German-engineered five-blade cartridges, the great shave gel, and special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles that you can even personalize with engraving all packaged in beautiful gift boxes. Find that perfect gift that doesn't feel like an impossible task. So this holiday, give Harry's and give Handsome. Get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping. As a special offer for our listeners, we've partnered with Harry's to get you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com fool. To get that limited edition shave set while supplies last, go to harrys.com fool. So everything we've described about the business so far, Adam, is it actually making money for the company? How do the, how do the financials look? So the first thing we could say is that the growth has been phenomenal um, over the past several years. If you go back to fiscal 2014, this is a company with about $73 million of annual revenue. Over the two following years, so by 2016, revenue had uh, increased by 10 times Mm -hmm. uh, up to around $730 million. And it continued to grow in fiscal 17, uh, reaching almost $1 billion. So you've seen huge growth there. And one of the interesting things about Stitch Fix compared to a lot of the other IPOs that you see is that this is a company that has been profitable now for several years. Um, it, you know, By 2015, it was starting to scale its business model and began to generate positive operating income. And so it definitely seems like a model that's more proven than some of the other, especially the tech IPOs that frequently come to market. And you're really just betting on a company that has a lot of users maybe, but uncertain uh, prospects for long-term profitability. With Stitch Fix, there's definitely a a track record of profitability. And so it's just a question of uh, whether it can grow its profit margin over time and how well it can continue to scale in the next 
three to five years, let's say. Mm -hmm. So the company, as you mentioned, they're approaching $1 billion of revenue in fiscal 2017. So it's up 34% over the prior year. Um, And as you can imagine, as the company grows, it scales a as it scales in size, you know that growth rate is decelerating. But their gross margin is between 44 and 45 percent, and that's better than what you will see at major apparel retailers and department stores. Um, and something uh, else I thought was interesting for the most recent year was the company actually swung from a positive gap earnings in 2016 of about 33 million dollars. Again, pretty rare for recently IPO'd companies to a small loss this year. Um, big part of that was the advertising and marketing costs, which shot up from $25 million to $70 million. Um, obviously, Stitch Fix is trying to grow the business. Um, but I think this presents us with a pretty familiar problem. And that's the need to spend very heavily to spread your brand awareness, to acquire new customers. And that can become unsustainable. Uh, we saw that with another IPO this year in the sector we talked about was Blue Apron. The market hammered Blue Apron for its high advertising and customer acquisition costs. And the stock only bounced back recently after the co-founder CEO was essentially pushed out and replaced. Uh, in the prospectus, though, Stitch Fix does share some one-time data on its customers in terms of revenue per client over different periods of time that I think is really telling. So what we see here, and the company acknowledges this, is that customers tend to spend more in their first six months than the second six months, more in the first year than the second year. But at the same time, you know, average revenue over the first year for a customer, I believe this was for the 2016 uh, customer base, came out to $489, so pretty substantial. And I think that gives the company some room in terms of pushing their advertising spending. Um, Blue Apron had the same problem where we know that customers tend to reduce their order frequency over time. And that was a major criticism from a lot of investors. But with food, you know, these guys, these customers are eating every single day. They're decreasing their order frequency and customer value, but they're just turning to competing services or traditional restaurants and grocery shopping for their meals instead. But with Stitch Fix, you know, management makes the argument that with each successful order um, and items that a customer keeps, you know, customers are essentially filling their wardrobes. There's only so much closet space. It's natural for demand to become a little bit lumpy as customers essentially wear what they have until they decide to refresh their wardrobes and return to the service. And they uh, mentioned that from 2014 through 2017, 650,000 of their customers re-engaged with Stitch Fix after more than four months of inactivity to kind of show how that proves out. But there are definitely still risks and challenges here for the for the company that I want to cover now. Adam, when we were planning this episode, you brought up a comparison to Trunk Club, which offers, I would say, a more bearish view of the long-term prospects for subscription-style companies. What's the story there? Yeah, so Trunk Club and Stitch Fix, if you looked at those two companies in 2014, they were basically mirror images of one another, with Stitch Fix serving women and Trunk Club serving men. Um, In 2014, as I mentioned, uh, during that fiscal year, Stitch Fix was a little under $100 million, around $73 million in revenue. And in 2014, Trunk Club hit about $100 million of revenue. And in the middle of that year, Nordstrom came in and bought Trunk Club for about $350 million, made a really big bet um, on this subscription box uh, business model. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when they made the acquisition, they stated that Trunk Club was already profitable, so in that way, very similar to Stitch Fix, that it was about to double its revenue in 2014 and that they expected to be able to double its revenue again in 2015. They had very grand ambitions for uh, pushing into women's apparel and noted that the, the women's overall women's apparel market is much larger than men's apparel. And so they saw 
big opportunities both to continue growing that core men's business, but also to push into the women's business. It seemed like a really great acquisition at the time also because Nordstrom has a network of over 100 full line stores, also um, selling you know very nice sort of upscale clothing. They could use those stores to provide services like tailoring that uh, would be a lot harder for a pure e-commerce company to, uh, to offer. Also Nordstrom uh, is a multi-billion dollar revenue company, so they have tons of inventory and uh, relationships with basically every top brand so you have much better inventory availability. So it seemed at the time like a really, uh, really successful or potentially really successful acquisition. And it's just turned out to be uh, a bit of a disaster for Nordstrom, albeit on a small scale. So uh, last year, the, the company Nordstrom had to write down the value of this acquisition by $197 million, so by more than 50%. And at the time, they stated that the the revenue growth rate was still pretty strong, but that they had significantly reduced their estimates of profitability. And if you look at what they did during uh, prior to 2016, unlike Stitch Fix, you could order a, a truck club trunk without paying that kind of styling fee upfront. And the problem with that in this kind of business model is that people end up sending back the whole trunk and you lose a lot of money if that happens. In terms of the fulfillment so costs, yeah. Putting, yeah, they ended up putting in a styling fee um, to order the trunk, and just like with Stitch Fix, uh, you can apply that to any purchases you make. Um, but once it did that, it seems like the revenue growth has really stalled out. The movement to the women's business just hasn't been nearly as successful as Nordstrom had expected. And so Trunk Club is a, is a cautionary sign for people interested in Stitch Fix because it's a company that seemed like it was on the same high-growth, uh, high-profit trajectory and everything just kind of fell off the rails in the last couple of years. And to be honest, Nordstrom hasn't provided that much in the way of details about the nitty gritty of just what happened there. So it's hard to say um, how close the parallel really is to Stitch Fix, but it's definitely concerning um, that Stitch Fix might also sort of run into a wall with growth and also find that the, the cost of acquiring customers becomes so great over time once you get past the people who can really easily fit into this model um, and are really looking for this kind of solution, uh, the marketing cost can get so high that it eats up all the profitability. And so that's why it's somewhat concerning from an investing point of view that you saw the big drop off in profitability in the most recent fiscal year at Stitch Fix. Uh, and at the same time that they were ramping up their marketing spending at such uh, an incredible rate, almost tripling it, you saw that really big deceleration in their revenue growth. And even just during the past year, there's been further deceleration. So at the beginning of fiscal 17, you had revenue growth still over 50% year over year. By the uh, second half of the fiscal year, which is roughly the first half of the calendar year, the growth rate was down to 26%. So it's gonna be really interesting to look at the upcoming earnings report that Stitch Fix is going to uh, put out soon to see you know, where is the revenue growth trend going and also where is the, you know, how high is marketing spending going? Because it's definitely worrisome that they're spending more and more on marketing and getting a smaller and smaller incremental revenue benefit from that. Thanks, Adam. The earnings that you mentioned, I believe those are coming out on the 19th of December, so quite soon uh, for investors to follow. Um, 
my the next challenge or, or potential headwind I guess I wanted to cover, um, you know, what consumer and retail episode of Industry Focus would be complete if we didn't at least mention Amazon one time and the threat that it poses here. So the company, uh, Amazon, threw a major wrench into Blue Apron's IPO when it announced its acquisition of Whole Foods. And again, I'm kind of seeing the parallel between these deals a little bit because uh, obviously, uh, Amazon has been investing a lot recently uh, over the past two years or so to become a bigger player in apparel. And over the summer, the company unveiled Prime Wardrobe. So this is still in beta. They're testing with a small number of customers, but this service is free to Prime members, or it will be, and it allows you to personally choose the clothing and accessories that you want in a box. And then those items get shipped to you at no charge. You try everything on, you keep what you like, and you send back everything else. And only then does Amazon actually charge you for the items you keep. So in this case, uh, it's still in the early stages, and we don't know how just how popular it would become. But this is a clash of kind of the curated products and discovery element that something like Stitch Fix offers versus the convenience and the pricing uh, benefits that Amazon obviously has access to, and then the certainty in picking your own items. Um, and it gets, I feel like the Prime Wardrobe uh, offering is getting you as close as you can to the traditional apparel shopping experience without actually going to a store. So it's definitely an interesting offering um, that they're expected to, to, to ramp up in the, uh, in the next year. And I'll definitely be interesting to see how that, what kind of impact that has in terms of the subscription models and kind of the curation versus the customer choosing their own items. Um, but let's start wrapping up here, Adam, with the, just a few more things to cover. So, First, uh, what does the road ahead in term for Stitch Fix look like in terms of growth? Um, is it just expanding its customer base, kind of as we've talked about? Is there anything else you think could be a lever for them to help drive growth? Yeah. So in the past few years, you've seen Stitch Fix um, push beyond that core women's market um, that it started with into uh, anything, everything from plus sizes uh, to expand sort of within, still catering to females, but also uh, moving into men's clothing, adding shoes, accessories mm -hmm. um, beyond just apparel. So they've tried to broaden their reach. Um, and that's one potential area for growth, uh, just trying to scale up in those newer areas. Sure. And then it's really just trying to use the data that they have to get their existing uh, customer base to buy you know, just a little bit more frequently. And then using the marketing spending that they've been rolling out to try to, to grow the customer base. I mean, those are the three ways, really, that uh, Stitch Fix can potentially keep growing uh, in the years ahead. Yeah, they've expanded from that women's uh, that core women's category, uh, which they rolled out with originally, I believe it was in 2013 or 2011. Um, They've expanded the men's, as you mentioned, petite plus maternity, shoes and accessories. And most recently, they've actually started getting to premium high-end brands as well, which will be interesting to watch. Um, I'm definitely actually looking for updates for about that in their next uh, earnings call, or their, which will be their first one. And something else I wanted to cover was the company currently has 700 brand partners um, that they get uh, their inventory from. And I the company, Stitch Fix, definitely in, I think, a strong place to grow that network. Because one of the big value propositions uh, that they can offer to apparel manufacturers and brands is that the company relies less on discounting, which means more full-price sell-through of inventory, and also serving as a way to kind of introduce apparel brands to its you know 2.2 million customers. Uh, something I thought that was interesting, I noted in... Uh, 
one of their filings, though, that Citrix also has a brief note that it's experimenting at a very small scale with making its own products. Um, so potentially another uh, a test that if it proves suitable for them that they'll expand to, but they. Uh, specifically caveat, there's no set plans for that to become a major part of the business. But clearly, management's kind of thinking about the various avenues for growth going forward. So, let's close out here with our final thoughts. Um, the stock's up 60%. Uh, granted, it priced at $15 per share. That was down from its original IPO range of $18 to $20. Um, so, what are your thoughts here? Uh, if you know, Are you a Stitch Fix bull bear somewhere in between? I would probably classify myself as a bear on Stitch Fix right now, um, or at least neutral and waiting for a lot more information from management. Sure. Um, this is a company that, you know, the valuation is now over $2 billion, uh, and their operating income uh, fell from uh, in the you know, $65 million range uh, two years ago in fiscal 16, and fell by half last year. So now it's just a little over $30 million. And so, you know, Paying almost 100 times operating income, you need to see a lot of revenue growth and uh, a lot of margin expansion over time. And there's definitely a case to be made that, that that's going to happen. Uh, bringing in new exclusive brands um, that, that Stitch Fix makes itself, uh, that's definitely one way that department stores have really bolstered their margins over time is by uh, doing more and more exclusive stuff because you're not you're not competing on price and you also control more of the supply chain, so you're cutting out the middleman. Yeah, absolutely. However... You know, with this slowing growth that you've seen over the last several quarters in particular, uh, it's definitely worrisome that maybe Stitch Fix is kind of peaking in terms of its revenue potential, and you're going to see much slower growth going forward, and basically all of the potential profit being eaten up by the marketing that it needs really just to, to you know stay where it is in terms of revenue. So I'd like to see the, you know, the earnings report that's coming out next week and you know probably a few more earnings reports. To see, okay, is the revenue growth reaccelerating, or can they maintain a double-digit revenue growth while pulling back on that marketing spending? Um, because while they've said that their marketing is a lot less as a percentage of revenue than uh, many of their competitors, uh, it's still enough that it's a serious drag on profitability right now. Thanks, Adam. I, I uh, I'll say I, I'm closer. I'm on the fence right now. Um, maybe leaning a little bit closer to your side in that. I too am waiting for more information. Uh, you know, originally looking into this company, researching it, I was really enamored by the approach they take in terms of the curation for the boxes, for the fixes that they send to their customers, in terms of the data side having the human element to it. But that also presents challenge, its own challenges. And otherwise, this is definitely a company that will be fun to watch going forward. And I'll be sure to have you on uh, provide updates. But thanks for hopping on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. So one last announcement before we wrap up here. If you're a fan of The Molly Fool and interested in what life is like working at Full HQ and our other offices around the world, we're hiring. You can check out our available positions, including the Summer 2018 Internship Program over at careers.fool.com. Thanks for tuning in. Austin Morgan is the producer for Industry Focus. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Fool on. Thanks, buddy. All right, I think I'm holding up here, so...